So recently I was thinking about a trip that I took to France when I was 14 with my French class. Um, we, uh, it had been a trip that we'd been planning for a few years and my school, um, took the French class every two years or so and we all went together and we traveled to France and we stayed for about five days and did a bunch of, um, fun things and it was one of my favorite trips that I've ever been on. Um, but I had been thinking about it recently, um, like I've been thinking about it in the past few days and I just recalled some things, um, that I really hadn't thought about in a while. Um, you know, when we went there, we, um, landed in Paris and obviously over the next two days or so, we did all of the touristy things that you're kind of, you know, kind of obligated or, you know, you, you should do when you go to Paris, um, you know, we went to the Eiffel Tower and the Arc de Triomphe and we went to the Louvre and, um, you know, it was great and beautiful and amazing. Um, we also ended up later in the week going to, uh, the French countryside, which was incredible. And, um, just the whole trip was a great experience overall. But really what I, um, was thinking about was, uh, my experience at, um, the Palace of Versailles in, uh, Paris when we went there. Um, you know, it's very famous, um, mostly for its, um, you know, incredible size and, uh, crazy gardens and, you know, just kind of all of the, uh, opulence that surrounds it. And going into the tour that I did with my French class of, um, Versailles, I, you know, I didn't know too much about it. I knew that it was really big. Um, I had kind of, you know, heard pretty much what everyone had heard up until that point, but I just really didn't know much about it. So going in, um, I didn't really have any, like, expectations. I, um, I actually didn't even know that that's where we were going until we were there. Um, but we showed up, and if you've never seen pictures of Versailles or if you've never been there, um, I mean, before you even get in the courtyard of, uh, the palace, um, there's a huge, uh, there are two huge golden metal gates that, um, you go through, and I mean, that was my first look into kind of what, um, the, the whole experience would be like, um, and when I laid my eyes on Versailles for the first time, I can honestly say that, uh, it, I mean, it kind of left me at a loss for words. I mean, it was beyond uh, luxurious and opulent. It was, I mean, huge. It can't, it cannot be described as a house or a home. I mean, it, even though it was, it was, I mean, it was just so much in one place. Um, and so after, I mean, I was excited because it, it was something so out of the ordinary of what I see, you know, in everyday life or what anybody sees, you know, especially as a place to live, which is what, um, King Louis the 16th and Marie Antoinette did. And, um, you know, all of their, uh, the people that worked there, you know, it was all just so, um, it just didn't really seem real. Um, but walking in, uh, I just didn't really know much about it. Um, I didn't know really anything about King Louis the Sixteenth, um, and Marie Antoinette. I pretty much knew what I would say 
everyone kind of knows I had heard up until that point, um, you know, she was very into spending lots of money. Um, she, you know, very opulent purchases. She had, you know, very singular tastes. She was kind of wild and free with things and didn't really seem too concerned with the problems of who were supposed to be her people. And in the end, um, the working class, the poor, the impoverished, you know, they got tired of her and the king, um, you know, spending all this money and, um, making life, uh, you know, not, not putting their citizens first and there was an uprising and, and she was killed. Um, and so going into my trip, um, to Versailles, I, you know, I didn't really have a very high opinion of her. Um, you know, she just seemed kind of selfish, uh, self-centered, um, you know, just very entrenched in her own world and, um, just didn't really take into account anybody's needs or, or, uh, wants over her own. Um, and so I, you know, I just didn't really think much about it. That was pretty much all I knew of her. And I kind of just, you know, that is what I went in, um, thinking and, you know, I was kind of just going to go with that, um, perspective, uh, throughout the tour, um, but when we finally got inside the actual palace, um, they gave us, like, a little recorder and some headphones, and essentially how they were running that tour is that you picked one person that lived in the palace, you could pick, um, you know, a cook, you could pick a maid, uh, you could pick a gardener, you could pick the king, or you could pick Marie Antoinette, and as you went through the palace in each room, it would take real life accounts of these people and letters and writings they did and it would talk about um, things from their perspective on that particular room or that particular artwork or outside. And um, I decided to choose Marie Antoinette because quite honestly of everyone that was on there, she's probably the one that intrigued me the most, mostly because I just wanted to know what was maybe at the core for that um, kind of self-centered personality that I had kind of gotten to identify her um like that that's kind of how I identified her as this self-centered person um so I you know I put in the headphones and I started going through the palace and um very quickly I noticed um that you know uh right uh, you know right away that she was not who I had um envisioned um in my mind, at least stereotypically. Um, Marie Antoinette was 14 when she was arranged to marry her once-removed cousin, King Louis XVI, and he was 15. Um, they got married at that age, and she was thrust into this life of um, having responsibility, and as well as being a ruler, she was also a wife, and um, inside this huge, uh, palace and in charge of this, uh, important country, um, you know, and as I went through the rooms, one thing that was a, uh, recurring theme was that n none of the rooms in the palace seemed to hold any semblance of happiness for her, um, she talked about the whole building feeling like a cage, like she was suffocating, you know, uh, she wasn't happy at any point, um, in her time there, uh, you know, she was married, uh, 
at such a young age to someone she had maybe met one time. Um, her and her husband barely talked. Uh, she absolutely despised um, the king's bedroom. Um, she hated it. It was like a terrible memory for her. She didn't seem to love him or really even be fond of him in any way. Um, she described him as really being, uh, he was irrational and, and he could really fly off the handle about things. Um, when I went into the throne room, she described it as just, she talked about being watched all the time and it felt as though she could never leave and she couldn't breathe in there or in the entire palace. Um, which was so interesting to me because, you know, upon just looking at it, the palace was huge. I mean, it, like I said, it was beyond, um, luxury. It was just more than anyone, more space and more things than anyone could ever need in a thousand lifetimes. And she just described it as though she was just being like closed into a tiny box. Um, and it was just such a different perspective on this idea of, luxury and what you know being lucky feels like and um you know it was interesting because she had everything you know in the world that she could possibly ever need you know more than anybody else in her country you know food clothing jewels money a huge house you know servants and help for whatever she could ever want um, you know, she would never want for anything, and yet the entire tour, all that she talked about was um, wanting to leave and be free, and she would give all of it up, the house and the money and, and the status in a second just to be able to, you know, be free of this life that she had been forced into. Um, and uh, she was so clearly unhappy in her life Um and if you've ever been to Versailles or have ever really heard anything about it, one of the most famous things that exists there are the um, gardens and the outside of the palace, which is uh, just as big, if not bigger, than the palace itself. Um, there's a hedge maze. There's a huge expanse of gardens. Um, and people often go for bike rides around there, uh, uh, through the, the maze and um, around the gardens. And when I got outside, um, Marie Antoinette described that uh, the gardens were the only place where she ever felt any semblance of freedom and happiness. Um, and she, you know, felt like she could be, just be in life outside. Um, and, uh, you know, it was probably the one place in the palace that she could really stand to be. Um, and there's very famously, um, a quote by Marie Antoinette, which I'm still not sure is true, where she talks about, like, saying, let them eat cake. And essentially, the public's view of her is that she was just kind of a, um, airheaded, uh, woman who was just spending all this money that, uh, the country didn't have on things for herself, um, and eventually there was an uprising and her head was chopped off. <laughs> and, um, you know, when you hear things like that, you just think, you know, it's this crazy idea. But, you know, the public and especially the people who were um, 
in the most trouble for what the king and queen were doing were, you know, the impoverished, the poor, the people who didn't have um, any of the things that the uh, royals did, you know, no money, no food, no, no extra clothing, or maybe even no housing. And so from their perspective, it was that um, their king and queen were inept at their jobs and you know if they didn't do anything about it they were just going to starve and die you know they the royals and the upper class were up in this huge giant opulent palace eating all this great food and these gorgeous silks and um, velvet clothing and just uh, kind of frittering away this money and this life and all this stuff they had and these people were just you know barely holding on um and the strangest thing is that that's how they saw them but people like Marie Antoinette was saying you know she would give all of that up to you know essentially to be where these people were because at least these people were free to make their own decisions they had uh, free will um they could go where they wanted to go they could buy what they wanted to buy they could just be whoever they wanted to be in this life and uh Marie Antoinette did not have that luxury um so I guess the most interesting thing was just taking this historical figure, um, this person who has huge negative connotations around them, and turning them in, you know, making them human. How, like, how do you make such a figure, such a such a huge uh, stigma? How do you humanize it and make them a real person? And I guess it started for me with her age when she was married. Um, she was the same age as me at the time. Um, she was 14 when she got married and I was 14 at the time that I visited, um, the palace and I just cannot imagine, you know, at 14, I, I mean, people at, at even, you know, 18, 25 are still making all kinds of decisions. And especially at 14, I mean, you're still just in the middle of development, you know, and she was growing up and she was suddenly thrust in the, into this position and she was suddenly supposed to make all these decisions about a whole country and all of these people. And she was, you know, um, when she was that age, I mean, when I was 14, I was certainly not spending money or time responsibly. You know, I wasn't paying attention to anybody. You know, I wasn't really thinking about anything other than what just what I wanted and the only difference between us is that she was, you know, uh, a queen and she had responsibilities to a people and she, she was just put in a position that she was not ready for. And so it definitely humanized her for me because it was so clear that she was um, depressed. I mean, heavily, heavily depressed. Um, she talked several times in journals and letters about wanting to die and wanting to be set free and so, based on that, it almost seemed like when the uprising came and her um, her execution became imminent, it almost seemed like she, uh, you know, it was something that she might have been, you know, ready for and looking forward to because she felt so trapped in the life she was in. Um, and so, I guess it just put a whole new perspective of what, you know, <laughs> what these historical figures and just what these, like, kind of people who are kind of legends in in a name and these huge names that everyone hears of but nobody ever really maybe looks farther into or most people don't um it turned her into this 
a human person and what like that was just such um a crazy idea to me um and it was a uh it was an eye-opening experience for sure and I gained um a new perspective um but I you know I didn't necessarily change my mind um whether or not this was happening she was still hugely responsible for these people and this country and you know so not to say that she didn't make any mistakes but understanding her more led me to um you know have a better understanding of who she was and and what she was going through and that just like everybody else she was human and a child really when she was thrust into that position so it was just an incredible experience and definitely um something that changed my perspective on people as as a whole so that's pretty much all I have to say about that trip but um or that experience at Versailles but it was incredible and beautiful beautiful place um and a and a great thing to learn but um a very interesting and eye-opening experience for sure um anyway uh that is pretty much it for the podcast today. Uh, just a reminder, I post every Tuesday on Spotify and Apple podcast at, um, anything, everything by me, Sanofara. So if you guys want to check it out, um, look me up on Spotify and Apple podcasts. All right. Thanks guys. Bye.